This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is September 17th, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Sure, my name is Stu Rushfield, and I was at Hofstra from, oh, let's see, it would have been September or August. I don't know, when does school start? I don't I think remember. it typically started in September back Maybe. in the 80s. Oh, yeah. back then. Yeah, that would have been um, 85, and I graduated in December of 89. The four and a half, the four and a half year plan. Uh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which I think many of us were on. Well, I Not know. I, you know, I finished a lot faster than you, but <laughs> that shouldn't make you feel badly. So tell the people what your titles and positions were at Hofstra Radio. Let's see. Titles and positions. I had two titles and uh, positions depended on how many people were like attacking me and beating me up. <laughs> Usually prone was the most prominent uh, position gotcha. that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, so I was the assistant sports director, um, to Glenn Koch. Mm -hmm. And then I became the sports director for two, for the last year and a half or two years or something like that. Yeah. Um, but I did lots of other stuff there as well. As many, many folks I think did at some point. It was a requirement. Sure. Back then. Should be now. Should be now. Maybe it is. Did you have, this is going to be a dangerous question, <laughs> did you have any nicknames or on-air names at the station? Ooh. You went by Stu Rushfield all the time. I did. Um, I remember back in that back in those days, I really wanted to be a, a sportscaster. Sure. Um, and I thought often about shortening my name to just Stu Rush. Mm-hmm. Because it sounds kind of snappy and cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, that ended up being my my Twitter, my social media um, handle. Right. Um, but no, I, I went by Rushfield. I was a dutiful son who uh, <laughs> didn't want to anger the family too much in the hopes of getting some kind of inheritance down the road someday, <laughs> which which never came. <laughs> Let's talk about the uh, the early history of Stu Rushfield. Yeah. Uh, what were, what first brought you down to the radio station? Oh, I thought you were talking about the really early history. I was born. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, so actually, so Hofstra was actually my second college that I went to. I actually uh, first went to SUNY Geneseo. I did not know that, actually. Uh, the year before, yeah. Mm. Uh, but my best friend growing up was Pete Caldera, mm-hmm. who had gone to Hofstra. And uh, I went to Geneseo, and I began my radio career at WGSU, mm-hmm. 89.3 on your FM dial, um, where I did a, well, so... I thought it was really cool when they offered me the opportunity to be the Saturday night DJ mm-hmm. on the radio station. Okay. Until I found out that it was really just because all the other people at the station had a life <laughs> and th- <laughs> and they didn't want to be stuck in the radio station on right. a Saturday night. But I took full advantage, Tony, mm-hmm. full advantage of that. And I began 
the legendary program Alphabet Stew on GSU, Mm -hmm. in which I played music uh, from A to Z, artists from A to to Z, um, every Saturday night. And it was good. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Somewhere there must be an air check, I'm sure. Is it specific kind of music or all over the place? It was kind of, you know, it was kind of whatever I liked. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a little more like rock okay. kind of things. The um, the only tricky thing, as I, rem- as I recall, was every week when you would get to the letter X, <laughs> there weren't many choices. Sure. There was a band that went by the, the name of X. So it was a band name, not a song name. It was a band name, right? Oh, okay. So, for example, um, you know, B was Beatles, C was Chicago, sure. D was Def Leppard. I thought maybe it was song name, and you probably played Xanadu multiple times. I could have done that. Could have done that, sure. I, I enjoy Xanadu, still mm-hmm. do. It's a fine motion picture. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I don't think that ever made it onto Alphabet Stew. Wow. And, of course, I took requests. From the vast audience in Geneseo, New York. So what caused you to leave Geneseo and go to Hofstra? So here's the deal. I learned when October rolled around there in western New York, (laughs) the sun went down Uh and it never came back. (laughs) It just stayed gray the entire time. Mm -hmm. Gray and cold. Sure. And so I actually went back for the beginning beginning of my second semester. And then uh, yeah, I just wasn't feeling it. Sure. I think it was probably a little too far from home. Yeah. You know? So I was a sensitive young lad then, <laughs> as I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I ended up leaving and ended up uh, working for a semester. Um, and then applied to Hofstra. And uh, because Pete Caldera, my good friend who I met in second grade when he moved to uh, my hometown of New City, New York, Mm -hmm. um, because he was at Hofstra, I thought, well, maybe I'll go there, too. He was telling me how great it was. Wow. It proved to be an excellent, excellent choice. Now, I know I know you and Pete. Uh, obviously grew up in the same in Pete lived in New City as well right mm-hmm. I'm assuming yep so you knew Pete and, and actually quite a few uh, folks from your area yeah and from your school which what school did you high school did you go to so I went to Clarkstown South High School mm-hmm. um, and uh, that was in West Nyack mm-hmm. New York it was great because we actually had a TV studio in our high school which was I don't think very common back then um and it was really great because you know it gave us a chance to learn a lot of production stuff you know and gave us a chance to get in front of the camera behind the camera and do all that kind of stuff um so it was a really good building block and pete was same year same grade as me so we spent a lot of time together. In fact, we did uh, the very first remote broadcasts of the big rivalry games between Clarkstown South and Clarkstown North. Right. Um, still have a couple of those on VHS. <laughs> um, if I could only find a VHS player. Yeah, <laughs> sure. We, we might see those again. 
Um, and also, Marshall Hausfeld, yeah. who was a freshman, I believe, when I was a senior, he also, uh, I met him at the TV studio. And then he ended up following us to Hofstra a right. few years later. And um, I am still in touch with him to this day. Why? I'm not sure. <laughs> and so all all three of you, and I know Marshall has a good, uh, obviously a very good video background. He's been with MSNBC for many years, mm -hmm. uh, quarter of a century at least now, I think it is for him. Um, and he started, you know, he really started that love. I know I've talked to him and he's done interviews here where he started his love of all that back at uh, Clarkstown South and that TV studio. And, and I get the feeling it meant a lot to all three of you. It did. It did. We had a great uh, teacher, the guy who really kind of built the studio from ground up. Uh, his name was High Schuster. Um, and uh, he was a mentor and he encouraged us to, to, you know, check out all the different aspects of production. Um, and that was really cool because it taught me that, you know, it's not all about being on the air. Right. Know, being the face in front of a camera, mm. um, but that all the other jobs are important to the production. And um, that has stuck with me for many, many years. Let's get back to uh, WRHU, which was the era that you and I were well, we're there for and still is today. Some would call it an error. <laughs> so so getting back to uh, the station, what was it like uh, when the first time you went to the station? Now, it was, I don't remember, you could probably, you have a better memory of this than I do, but the initial building that it was in when you and I started mm -hmm. was not Memorial Hall. Well, it wasn't in the basement of Memorial Hall. It was not in the... Oh, that's right. I forgot. It was upstairs, right? Yeah. And that's where the radio station office was. Yes. And um, I remember that well because we had... Uh, yeah, so Glenn Koch, who was our sports director. Actually, I should... Andy Hershon. Andy Hershon was the sports director the first year I was there. Right. Glenn Koch became sports director the second year. But uh, one of my, yeah, one of my greatest memories is that that first year happened to be one of the years uh, of the 17-year cycle of the cicadas. Okay. <laughs> and so there were cicadas all over Hofstra. Uh-huh. It was maddening, the sound. But I remember the best part, the most memorable part to me, is that Glenn Koch and Ben Buckwald, who are you know, two of the uh, sports guys at RHU, they would photocopy, they would take uh, a copy of a photo of Jeff Krause, <laughs> our station general manager, uh -huh. the dignified, mm -hmm. gray-haired, gray-bearded, serious guy, and they would make a lot of photocopies, and then they would take cicadas who had expired, <laughs> uh -huh. and they would glue the photo of Jeff's head onto the <laughs> cicadas, and they would leave them all over his desk. Oh, boy. So it would be cicadas with his likeness staring at him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, that was fun. I think that's when uh, Jeff... 
began his dislike of me, at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, the first time you come down to that station. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've, I've talked about this on, on uh, these uh, podcasts before, what it was like first coming down and the impression I got from a lot of the people who were there. So you walk into the office the first time. What? You know what was it like? Who did you meet? What was the what was the initial thought you had when you walked into the office and met a bunch of people there? Well, um, I'm going to be honest. I don't remember a lot about the, the, <laughs> the first meeting. Sure, I remember being intimidated. Yeah, you yeah. know, I remember uh, Jeff Krause, who was our GM, uh, with a big booming radio voice and you yeah. know very intimidating um uh presence um so i was definitely a little scared and you know it's always hard when you walk into a new place especially after being the star of alphabet stew yeah i mean well, of I, course. i'm sure you can imagine yes absolutely <laughs> my concern um anyway yeah i don't to be honest i don't remember a lot i remember i remember going to like the the student fair, I guess it was, that happens uh, every semester. Right. You know, where they have all the organizations and clubs, and you can go and uh, check out the things that you might be interested in. And um, I don't know. I, I ended up going to RHU, and I remember back in the day there was an announcer's test and some mm. other stuff that you had to pass. Um but I just, you know, I, I wanted to be a sports guy, and I gravitated uh, immediately to the sports guys who became not only friends then, but lifelong friends. Mm. Um, I'm trying to be diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to make a sarcastic joke about you, <laughs> but I won't, because here we are almost 40 years later, Yeah, and, uh, and you've allowed me into your home mm -hmm. to do this, so... And it's late, and, and uh, it's late. you don't want to be kicked out. Exactly. Understood. Exactly. Smart. It's hard to find a hotel this time of <laughs> night. <laughs> anyway, but I just remember everybody at the station actually was really welcoming, um, and uh, it was just a good atmosphere. It was like I had found my people. I, I can't tell you how often I've heard that from others who have done interviews. I've said the same thing myself. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I think it's a very, I think it's a very common, you know, experience that most people have. But the intimidation part early on, and then eventually over time, you realize, hey, you, you, you f I fit in here. Oh yeah, and you know, it was kind of interesting because you know there were different, there were different parts of the station. So there were the sports guys who mm -hmm. everybody thought were just a bunch of you know yokels who weren't serious about anything. Mm -hmm. um, and then there were like the the uh, shortwave uh, music show, right? It was short shortwave? Airwave. Airwave. Thank you. Sorry, NPR has a podcast called Shortwave. There you go. So I confused it. But Airwave, right. There were the airwave people who were mm -hmm. way too cool for me. Uh, you know, of course. The music, uh, the kids who were into the, the alternative music and that kind of thing. There were like the news people who were very serious. Mm -hmm. um, but eventually, everyone just became friends. Yeah. And it was a, it was a really great place. I spent 
way more time in that radio station over my years than I ever did studying, for sure. Ah, sure. But I will also say that even though my degree was in radio and television production, um, I think the value I got from being at the radio station for all that time um, really kind of far exceeded the value I got from the classes, which is not to say the classes weren't good mm-hmm. or important, but just to get your hands on, to get your feet dirty and wet, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just, it was a great way to learn. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, I, I do remember one of the requirements for being on the air, if you wanted to be a sports guy, well, you had to take another shift on the station. Mm-hmm. So I ended up taking one of the uh, the Good Morning Hofstra classical music shifts, mm-hmm. which I hadn't, I didn't know Beethoven from Bach, or I had no idea what I was doing, mm-hmm. but uh, all I knew was I was playing stuff on the radio and talking and you know as a freshman that was that was a pretty cool deal absolutely you know you mentioned earlier about uh, announcing classes and engineering classes uh anything memorable about those experiences being in an announcing class or an engineering class so who, who taught you in those classes what did you learn from them i still remember i still think all the time about the four-track studio we had, mm-hmm. which seems so primitive now, now that, you know, you can easily have dozens, if not hundreds of, you know, channels in a mix yeah. these days um, when you're talking about digital. But I just remember how mind-blowing it seemed to be for people to be able to use four tracks of yeah. audio at the same time. And I, I remember how scary it seemed to me. and uh, But, um, yeah, the announcing classes were great. Um, I, I don't have a lot of specific memories of them, but I just know that uh, there was a lot from Jeff Krause about enunciation and projection and things like that. And um, I have annoyed my own children for many years talking about enunciating properly mm-hmm. so people can understand you. And then when they mumble, I remind them. <laughs> they're getting a little tired of it. Yeah. And they're walking around the house with shovels, and I'm not quite sure what those are for. <laughs> Uh, so going from the classes and then you finally get your, your first chance to, to do something on the air. Mm-hmm. Do you re- recall or remember the first time you were behind the board or the first time you were on the air live at RHU? Well, I remember definitely, I remember, um, being on the board for a while because, you know, you had to work your way up. Mm-hmm. I remember being on the board, um, during the football games and basketball games and that kind of thing. And, um, I didn't have a ton of experience with engineering stuff, but it, you know, I mean, when you're doing it live, you learn quickly. Right. Um, and you make mistakes and you learn that that's okay. Right. You know, you're, it's, it's college. And even now, even all these years later as a professional, I tell young people, 
if you make a mistake, it's okay. It's only radio. Right. Now, I will say that, but then I also will tell you that if I make a mistake on the air, Mm -hmm. I beat myself up about it for a good solid week. Mm -hmm. Um, but But I still try to tell people that it's okay even though I feel like it's not okay for me because I'm a, a right. perfectionist. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just remember, you know, learning how to mix and how to do crossfades and crossfading the crowd noise of a football game with the music and, you know, dropping uh, somebody doing updates uh, over on top of the music, that kind of thing. Um, it was all just very cool. It was like... Kind of like being a DJ in a sense, and uh, and then I, I, you know, we also then uh, we had to essentially, okay, this is going to sound so super dated, but we mm-hmm. had to start. I'm going to say it start at the bottom, which meant if you were lucky, you got to do women's basketball, mm-hmm. and that was where you started. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you did okay on that, then you might work your way up to, you know, doing color commentary on basketball or color commentary on the football games, that kind of thing. Hofstra, oh, yeah, I should mention Hofstra at one time had a football team (laughs) when we were there, and Uh it was excellent. And uh, it was not like a powerhouse across the country, but in Division Three, which is where we were, uh, we were a very strong program. And um, anyway, so eventually did the engineering stuff, got to do some of the women's games, which was really great experience too. Um, and uh, eventually worked my way up and got to go to all kinds of interesting places and and have a lot of fun uh, traveling with uh football team and the basketball team even though i also will point out that the basketball team was just putrid (laughs) back in those days (laughs) really not good okay uh so let me just uh go a little bit off track of what we've been talking about not far off though um you mentioned how you became sports director at one point is that something that you wanted to do and and after you had the experience of doing it do you feel it was worth doing it or would you have preferred to just worry more about doing games? Because it's always, it's nice to have, it's nice to say, yes, I was the head of, but then when you have a love like sports broadcasting, like you and I both have, and you get a chance to do that, then you take over and then you have to deal with other, you have to deal with scheduling, you have to deal with other announcers being there, all that kind of stuff. So as a sports director, how was that experience? And, do you feel like it was a positive thing to have done? There were parts of it that were challenging. Uh, for example, you know, as you mentioned, scheduling. Trying to be fair, trying to, to give a fair amount of games to each person right. so people would get the experience. Um, but it really it led to some hard feelings at times. Sure. Um, sure. Because people didn't always get the assignment that they were hoping for. But... The the cool thing I think about being the sports director was back then we had to make our own arrangements for, well, back then it was phone lines right. um, for uh, doing games on the road. 
it was making travel arrangements for, mm-hmm. you know, planes or rental cars or this or that. And, um, you know, it was getting in touch with the sports information directors from the other schools. So there was just a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people would consider it kind of uh, paperwork. But it was all so important because it just kind of gave you this foundation for like, oh, this stuff just doesn't happen magically. Right. Somebody actually has to do the work (laughs) to get the game on the air eventually. Right. Um, so, So I actually found from an organizational point of view it it actually did it taught me a lot more about the business than if i just wanted to show up once a week and do a football game right so let's go on a little more the fun part of it Mm. and i think you and i have uh partaken in doing a show or two with a lot of the other sports guys of that time and told stories are there is there like one story that really stands out that kind of epitomizes the time at RHU and doing sports? Uh, you know, it could be something funny. It could be something that you know where you really realize, hey, this is this is this has been a lot of fun. Is there a, you know a road story or a game story that you have that you always think about when you think about doing sports at RHU? Yeah, yeah, there was a game, a basketball game. Uh, we went up to Providence College to do a game there mm-hmm. with Marshall Hausfeld, and we were setting up our equipment. And um, it was sh- very shortly before game time. And I took this power strip that we had, mm-hmm. and I plugged something into it, and all of a sudden there was a flash of fire. <laughs> And smoke, uh-huh. and it scared the daylights out of me, and um, and yeah, that's when I learned the importance of bringing extra mm-hmm. backup equipment uh, because I think we found a way to to find another power strip that somebody was able to uh, to lend us. But wow, yeah, that was alarming and crazy and funny in retrospect um and i i think it was also with that game where i started the broadcast and i said something like from the blah 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 uh arena uh in 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 <laughs> and then i turned to marshall and i said where are we marsh <laughs> And he said, Providence, Stu. We're in Providence. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of good times. There, oh, I mean, yeah. just traveling, you know, with with the other sports guys. Sure. Traveling with the team was a lot of fun. Actually, I do have a great memory. We were doing a game, a uh, basketball game, at Ohio University, Athens, Ohio, the Bobcats. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember in the morning... Our team had the morning shoot-around in the arena, and I was there that morning, and I started shooting Mm three-pointers. Now, let me tell you, I've always been an absolutely awful athlete. Mm -hmm. Almost no talent whatsoever. (laughs) Um, But that day, there was magic Mm -hmm. in the arena, 
and I started hitting three pointer after three pointer, and um, and you know after a few the team started like taking notice, mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah I remember there was the the quote that sticks with me to this day was. Radio guy, radio guy. What do you say, radio guy? <laughs> and, of course, then I got a little um, nervous and uh, I'm sure clanged a few. <laughs> but I, I hit a bunch that day, and it was like, maybe I am maybe I should be on the court. <laughs> and then I, I woke up and I realized, no, you're awful at basketball. <laughs> but I do remember that. Oh, can I share one other sure, sure. story? Um Sorry. Uh, one other story was, and perhaps this wasn't the nicest thing we could have done, but there was uh, a player on the basketball team who had never flown before. He was yeah. a freshman. Mm-hmm. And Glenn Koch and I boarded the plane. We were sitting right in front of him. He was telling us how nervous he was. And then as the plane began to taxi down the runway, Glenn loudly started quoting completely made-up statistics. (laughs) And with this poor freshman nervous in the seat behind us said, Stu, did you know that 85% of all airline fatalities occur during takeoff or landing? (laughs) (laughs) And I still remember the poor guy just melting into his chair behind us. And uh, anyway, there are a lot of good times. A lot of good times. The two two things I always talk about, very brief stories are, uh, including you, are... One time being back in the studio and hearing you set up for a game, hmm. hearing you s- setting up the mixer, and all of all of a sudden we hear like a, a like a like a an electronic sound, and then we hear you scream. That and, must have been the one. And and yeah, you getting you getting getting shocked. Yes. And and we were laughing hard in the studio. That must have been that game. And somehow you got back on the air again. Yeah. And uh, you know the other the other one that I, the other story that I always tell tell people is one time in intercession you were staying on campus I was yeah. still helping at the radio station Clemson comes to town mm-hmm. to play the boys basketball team yeah. and you and I were both sick as dogs oh, yeah, with yeah, like yeah. the flu yes. or so and nobody was there to do the game and it was Clemson yeah. We got to do the game, Steve. We got to do it, and we dragged ourselves uh, out of you know uh, out of our uh, you know homes, and and probably one of the better broadcasts I think we ever had. <laughs> we did that game really sick, and and, uh, and and I just remember both of us looking at each other like I'm going to die. I hope this game ends soon, and but we still did a heck of a game. But like that's what you did back then. You dragged yourself out of bed even if you were sick and did a game. That's kind of, you know, when you go into the business of uh, broadcasting or anything, really, mm-hmm. you know, you, you gotta, you gotta show up, you gotta show up to play. Yeah. Um, and yeah, some days you're not feeling your best and some days you don't want to get out of, out of bed. Yeah. But there is a job to do. I mean, all these things, being at Hofstra, being at WRHU taught 
me those things. Like, yeah, there are details that you may just not want to bother with. You may just want to get on the air and, you know, have the, the couple of hours of uh, glory uh, doing a game on the radio. Mm-hmm. But, boy, there's so much more to it. So much more to it. And, um, yeah, it's to me, there are a lot of days where I might wake up now and not feel like doing sure. what I do, but I get up and do it because there's a whole country waiting to be entertained or informed, and yeah. you do what you got to do. Let's get back on the uh, track of your time at uh, RHU. And let's we've we haven't really talked about others. Not a few others you've mentioned. Obviously, Pecal there, Marshall Hausfeld, and a few others. But who were the people who were really helpful to you early on, and even as you went on? Who were the people who were really helpful to you um, initially in your early days at RHU? Mm. Well, there were there were people like um, our station manager Dave Bolander, mm-hmm. who I remember being super encouraging yeah um jeff kraus jeff kraus an interesting character um like i said very intimidating but underneath he was just a squishy softy (laughs) yeah and uh what i learned about jeff is he if he saw talent in you if he saw promise in you he would be harder on you than he would on most of the other people. Right. But he did it for a reason. Because he knew that you could do more. You could, he, there was more he could get out of you. For, um, and uh, I thought that that's an important lesson that I learned. Um, you know, it's, there was a time when I thought it was just, sometimes being a little rude or a little harsh. And then I realized it was actually coming from a really good place. Um, So Jeff, and then there were other people um, who I used to enjoy watching. Um, uh, Jim Vazios was kind of a a technical wizard Mm -hmm. back then. Um, uh, let's see. I just there are all kinds of people. Uh, Adam Foss, right? Adam, am I saying that right? Adam Foss, who did the post punk. Jeff Foss. Jeff Foss. I'm sorry. So there was Jeff Foss mm-hmm. who did the. It was called P5. Was it the yep post pop punk progression? pop party or something like that <laughs> i think i don't know i think i just turned close it, i turned it into a p6 yeah. just now <laughs> <laughs> anyway but that was yeah. a late night like saturday night uh show and yep. uh it was actually i remember very impressive watching it might have been one of the first times well certainly the, the first time that i think i met uh, buster rhymes down there you you, you got that was a great thing about jeff you got to meet some really interesting, uh, you know, people who were starting to get a name in, in, you know, in in the rap world, and he had them down there at the radio station on Saturday night. Yeah, and I got to meet quite a few that wound up becoming big names. And yeah, I mean, I think that was probably one of the the, the great things about RHU was having people who were on, on the cutting edge of some different things. It's true, and I mean, you know, right now we're celebrating like fifty years of rap. Yeah. Music. Yeah. And a lot of those people 
were at RHU back in those days. Absolutely. Um, pretty amazing stuff. Um, but, you know, there are other people, too, who I really admired um, because they allowed us to preempt their shows. Yeah, sure. So Tony Jackson, Tony Jackson did this, yeah. uh, the Irish music show on Saturday afternoons, and he would always get bumped because we had football or basketball. Mm-hmm. But he was just such a delightful man. Um, Absolutely. And, uh, you know, he was he was not a student. He was, you know, he was a grown-up, and uh, he was a volunteer at the station. And, um, uh, oh, help me with the, the Polish the Polish music show that we had. Well, uh, I think when we first got there, it was Sweet Olsen. Right. Right. It was Sweet. Um, and then Basha later on. Basha. Yes. Yep. And I don't know. They were great. They were like having moms and dads, you know, right there yeah. at the station. They were just so encouraging and, you know, didn't give us the evil eye, even though we were taking away <laughs> their audiences. And their audiences actually... I remember for station pledge drives and that kind of thing, their audiences actually uh, really ponied up. Yeah. So, you know. Absolutely. It was kind of rough for us to, uh, you know, to be interrupting their shows when their shows actually brought in some money for the station. Um, but, oh, I don't know. There, there were just all kinds of people. There were talented people, um, not just from the beginning, but as time went on. There was Dave Mock, who was a very intense, very serious news person. Yeah. Um, it's so sad. Dave passed a number of years ago. Yeah. Uh, but he went on to work for CBS. And he was so serious about news. Um, I would make the case that uh, the, um, the Hofstra Radio Hall of Fame... And I don't think I don't think they've put him in, but mm-hmm. they should put him in posthumously f- for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, agree. He was he was just so committed and so serious about doing the news. Um, the, uh, other people, though, um, who were fun, who were not from the sports department, uh, Lori Cates, mm-hmm. um, who was another one of those really cool kids who did the alternative music shows um, and then went on to work at uh, WLIR and, um, uh, oh gosh, I'm forgetting Up her. in Boston too as yeah, well. Yeah, yep. what is her station up in Boston that she worked at? She'll I don't be mad know. now. I'm not cutting this out. I want her to hear <laughs> that you don't remember. <laughs> anyway, she was like super good and super talented. And, um, you know, there were other people from our years uh and actually, one thing I really find interesting is that people did go into different areas, into different directions, you know? Mm-hmm. We had Tony Sibilla, for example, uh-huh. who wound up, uh, we both wound up working at WABC. And then Tony uh, was doing Chicago Bulls, uh, <laughs> engineering Chicago Bulls games. That seems like a lifetime ago. During now. the height of the Jordan years? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I, I haven't, uh, you know, I haven't seen The Last Dance. Yeah. But I, you know, and, and I love I love people talking about it, especially younger folks who, you know, it's this, it's this mythical time. And I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was kind of there. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, it was... Uh, 
yeah, I think it's interesting the different um, the different paths. I think you're absolutely right. The different paths that we've all taken to a certain extent. Somehow we all either are still in or got back to broadcasting in one way, shape, or form. And you know, and in my mind, uh, WRHU was you know help us gain the love of doing that. I always felt like I wanted to do radio. It wasn't until I got to WRHU that I really fell in love with it and everything about it. There's somebody else I need to mention um, who is a new inductee into the Radio Hofstra Radio Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. which is Sue Ronneberger. And Sue Ronneberger yep. was a student and worked at, it was probably actually WVHC at the time, um, maybe tran, you know. Yeah. Uh, transitioning to RHU mm-hmm. but she uh, she had worked there years before and then became an engineer at WABC and when I was leaving the station for my very last final exam in December of uh, of 1988 yeah um the phone rang as I was walking out of the, the radio station office and Jeff Krause um, answered the phone and I was, you know, on my way out the door and all of a sudden before the door closed, I heard Jeff yelling, Stu, Stu. <laughs> and I turned around and went back in and it turned out that Sue Ronneberger, former Hofstra radio person, um, still cared enough about Hofstra Radio that she called because WABC was looking for some vacation relief engineering help. Right. And um, Jeff thought of me uh, because I was, you know, well, I guess probably because I was standing there at the <laughs> time the phone rang. But, um, but yeah, she called. She said, is there anybody who's like graduating who might be interested in doing this, who you think would be good? And... Two weeks later, I was sitting at the controls of WABC, like the biggest talk station in America, uh, sweating through my pores mm-hmm. um, and engineering. Um, if I can go into that just a tiny sure, bit more. Sure. So I had to be there at six o'clock in the morning. Sue was engineering the, uh, the morning show, which I believe was the Dave Dawson show back then didn't didn't last very long but so i'm there that day i get there at six o'clock in the morning all excited to be there and i'm watching them do the first hour of the show and it was really cool and i was like oh my gosh oh my gosh this is really amazing and then at seven o'clock the network news comes on which is when everybody gets to take a little breather for a couple of minutes and sue ronneberger who was engineering and, you know, showing me how to do things and stuff. Um, she stands up when the news comes on <clears throat> and she says, okay, your turn. And I was like, <laughs> that's funny, Sue Ronneberger. <laughs> and she looked at me. She's like, no, I mean it. Mm-hmm. Sit down. And so when we started that very next hour, I was at the controls of this like giant blowtorch of a radio station. 
And um, it was absolutely terrifying. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I did it. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I don't remember. Maybe it was perfect. Maybe it wasn't perfect. I don't know. But that's how you learn. Uh, yeah, Kim Ka Kim Kalleberg did the same thing to me the first uh, I trained with her at ABC yeah. about yeah. a month after you started. Right. And she kind of did the same, threw me in the deep end yeah. and said, sink or swim. And I thank her, in my mind, I thank her every day for doing that to, for me. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you can really get hung up in your mind about, oh, can I do this? Am I good enough to do this? Yeah. Well, you find out quickly when you have no choice but to find out. And to, to just to get back at, at, at uh, your mention of Sue Ronneberger and all the others who wound up working at WABC who w were Hofstra radio alums who kept that, who, who kept that pipeline coming mm -hmm. so that you and me and Steve Goldman and others after us had a chance to go work at a major radio station coming out of college. If it weren't for people like Sue, yeah. we wouldn't have had that opportunity. And again, we should be thanking them every time we see them. Absolutely. And it was crazy. Like, for example, um, you know, just being able to be like the engineer on the board for the New York Yankees radio network yeah. in the studio. Now, you actually did it in the booth, yeah, which was crazy. And actually, that happened to be the first year that John Sterling yep. started uh, broadcasting 1989, yep. And John Sterling is still at it as of, uh, as of this year. And one of the, the neatest things that I remember was um, having the opportunity to visit up in the booth over there and being able to walk down the hall and go see Bob Shepard. Yeah. You can probably, I know you can do this. I, I can't do a good Bob <laughs> Shepard, but Bob Shepard was the legendary yeah. Yankees, Yankee Stadium uh, announcer for years. And uh, it would sound something like this when, uh, for example, Derek, when Derek Jeter would come to bat. Oh, no. You, you no, know, the impersonation I do is, is, yeah. uh, is Bob Shepard, you know, because before the games, you'd go get. You go get food before the game. Oh, yeah. And so I was online one time with Bob Shepard, <laughs> and he's, I'll have the number two <laughs> and a large Coke. Coke. <laughs> uh, you know, but, and I, that echo but followed would, him yeah, all he, around. But he it? would sound like that, and he was the uh -huh. nicest guy in the world. I remember talking to him all the time. My brother came with me to, to, to hang out with me while I was engineering a game, mm -hmm. and I brought him over to Bob Shepard just to say hello, and, and he was yeah, he was ecstatic to have, to have met him. Bob would sit there and read a book, and when it was his turn, he would he would kick his microphone on because it was a kick switch mm -hmm. on, on the floor, and he would announce the uh, the batter. And but he was the nicest guy. All these all these cool things we're talking about all go back to WRHU yep. and getting and, and, and getting to know people and getting to be respected by those who came before us, given a chance to do some great things. And, you know, it, again, it's all because college radio started us down this path. Yep. And actually, you mentioned that. And then I think about uh, our time at WRHU, which led to our time at WABC. Yep. 
At WABC, when we were there, there was a young Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. Who uh, was... I think he was only about on the air for about six months at that point when he, we started. Right. He was pretty new in New York. And at that time, he was actually doing two hours locally in New York and then two hours right. nationally. Yep. Nationally, at that time, I think he was up to about 240 radio stations, which was still... You know, just yeah. early into the ascent and the explosion of, um, you know, his popularity. And uh, however, so Sue Ronneberger, uh was looking for engineers. Jeff Krause pointed me in that direction. Mm-hmm. I wound up working at WABC. I wound up working with Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. Who then, seven years later, recommended, uh, gave me a great letter of recommendation recommendation when i went to cbs radio right because he was friends with mary madeline who yeah. was a republican um uh republican um pundit i guess pundit yeah thanks um and uh yeah and they were good friends yeah and mary saw that i had worked with him and she called him up and he gave me a glowing review yeah and that you know, I mean, that yeah. started with RHU. Let's wrap it up with this final question as we... Uh, final question? Yeah, I think so. I'm wide awake, Tony. Aren't you? <laughs> you better not be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I could go all night. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you could, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, I think I've already put everyone else to sleep. <laughs> What uh, what did you think Hofstra Radio would mean to you when you first started doing? Obviously, you went you you, you were at Geneseo beforehand, but when when you got to Hofstra Radio and you started working there and you did sports and you started be, and you become the sports director, you know what was your what was your thought? What was Hofstra Radio going to mean to you in, in, in those early days? Did did you see that as being a stepping stone to your career? Uh, what did you think you were going to get out of that time at Hofstra Radio? Yeah, I really felt it was like a launch launching pad um, for us. And, uh, and you know, I had big plans. I, I was certain that by the time I reached, you know, I hit 40 years old, I was going to be doing uh, play-by-play for Monday Night Football. Yeah. Um, and, you know life happens and careers take different twists and turns. Um, but it was really, yeah, I thought I was going to be a a big time play by play guy. And Mm -hmm. I really wanted to be, and I think I just didn't have the guts to go to like a really small station somewhere in the middle of nowhere and, you know, eat tuna fish out of a can and peanut (laughs) butter from a jar and, you know, barely be able to pay rent, if at all. Um, so I really admire the people who did go through, you know, went down that road. Um, I ended up sticking with the engineering path. Mm-hmm. Um, but without RHU, I wouldn't have, I just wouldn't have known about all the the things that make up, you know, a radio station and all the pieces that there are and uh, jobs and it's just amazing and just the organization of it all um has really helped you know through me throughout my career 
Um, and uh, yeah, so I thought it was going to go one way and it went a totally different direction. But I have to say, I ended up doing a few stories on the air for NPR over the past couple of years. And it brought me back to those times because it was so fun getting behind the mic. But it was not only doing that, it was like being back at Hofstra in a way because suddenly I was there, I was writing my stories. I was recording tape. I was coming back and editing the tape. I was producing the entire thing, um, you know, voicing the stories. So it was like all these things that we were taught at RHU um, came back together, you know, 30, 40 years later, whatever it is. Um, and it's just those, the things that you learn, the lessons that, that you take from that, um, that really last can last a lifetime. Um, you know, and not only that, but just the friends that you make mm -hmm. and, and continue to keep, you know, so many years later, um, it is a special place. Um, it is a place that uh, I feel really, really lucky that I was able to be a part of it. Now, would it have been just as great if I had been at, oh, I don't know, Syracuse or Ithaca, which were the other two schools that I wanted to go to, but were too expensive? Um, you know, might have been great. They had great uh, communications programs. But wow, the, educa the education that I got at Hofstra and the experience I got because people let me do it. Right. They just, you know, they were like, okay, you want to do more? Sure, do more. That is, there, that is something you can never learn in a classroom. Um, but the experience at the radio station just gave me opportunities to look at every different angle of broadcasting. And um, it has uh, led to a long career at NPR and um, doing a show that is heard by 13 million people every week and you know it's been it's been a pretty decent career um, and uh, yeah I, I I owe a lot of it to uh, a lot of the people I met at Hofstra and um, just the great people I had the chance to work with during that time um, well, Stu, thanks. I appreciate you taking the time. And, uh, you know, obviously you and I have known each other for a long time, did a lot of sports together. A little too long in my opinion. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just, just uh, talking about these stories uh, uh, makes it all, you know, it ratifies what you were just saying, how all that uh, experience and information it's it's important and it was worth all of it at RHU and and maybe we got an experience at RHU that wasn't because it wasn't overly structured it was it allowed us to 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 learn to to take steps and to fall and to get back up and take steps again and I think that's that that was one of, that's one of the things I always loved about RHU it allowed you to make those mistakes and then you know you you learned to correct them you were told how to correct them or what you need to do to to get back on on the horse again, and you did that, and I think that's that's what any college radio station should do: allow you to make the mistake, and then get you, you know, get you to learn from that, and and be a, a better broadcaster. There's no better way to learn than by screwing things up, <laughs> and I was really outstanding at that. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, 
but uh, in the end, you make mistakes, you learn from them, you move on. Maybe you make that same mistake occasionally again, but you know, you just build every time you learn something, it adds up, it builds. Before you know it, you've had a 40 year career in radio. So I can't complain. Uh, I've gotten to do all kinds of great, cool things. Uh, been to all kinds of places. Um, met all kinds of neat people over the years. Uh, not just at RHU, but professionally. And um, I would say I'm a pretty lucky guy. 